feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, I just booked my booster uh, shot appointment uh, for Boxing Day. Love it, love it. Couldn't be more excited. You're getting yours uh, As we're recording tomorrow, I'm uh, supposed to get it. Um, Are you getting... This is just booster talk with Matt and Eric. Booster Um, bros. Today we are reviewing Guillermo del Toro's uh, Nightmare Alley, starring Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe. Uh, Good weekend for Willem Dafoe. Um, Richard Jenkins. Well, well yeah, I mean, he's in two movies. <laughs> yes. Uh, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, uh, Ron Perlman, uh, Mary Steenbergen, uh, David Strathairn and more. Uh, yes, Eric. Um, it's now playing in theaters. Everyone. Um, we're a yes. little late. Uh, sorry. And I can't believe you forgot David Hewlett. Oh, sorry. Uh, who's Vincenzo Natelli's uh, actor who plays the, um, uh, the polygraph uh, specialist in one scene. Okay, you probably know him best yeah. in the first uh, in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He's that next door neighbor. That's the right that he kind of is yeah. the super spreader. Speaking yeah. of that, booster shots. Yeah, I'm supposed to get mine tomorrow, so um, I'm getting a little you know mixed cocktail because the Moderna's in short supply. So I think I'm I'm getting a Pfizer booster. Um, so that should be interesting. I don't so know. your Moderna, like, Moderna, Pfizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little little cocktail. Um, no, that, which is, uh, which is good because, um, you know, the cinema is back this weekend, at least for one movie, (laughs) (laughs) um, with Spider-Man making, you know, $256 million being the third highest uh, opening of all time. That being said, Nightmare Alley, um, I don't know the final numbers, but I knew it was not doing very well, but that's another conversation. I think it was like three million dollars or something like that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, at the tail end of our review. But um, you know, this is Del Toro's follow up uh, to Shape of Water, which he won Best Picture, and um, I think highly anticipated in the you know a kind of a modern noir, or actually a classic noir, but with modern sensibilities. But uh, Eric, what's Nightmare Alley? Yeah, so Nightmare Alley is based on William Lindsay Gresham's novel and was adapted uh, in 1947, uh, also uh, sort of at the peak of film noir and starred uh, Tyrone Power. Uh, This version uh, has Bradley Cooper in the lead role of Stan Carlyle, a mysterious grifter who joins the circus in the late 1930s um, with World War II kind of looming in the backdrop. And as we learn more about uh, Cooper's uh, kind of hustler, we find out that he uh, has some serious father issues and also is somebody that can take advantage of individuals and sort of bring them into his world. And when we see him kind of operating within, um, you know, the circus under the big top, he kind of gets to know people like Willem Dafoe's uh, geek show kind of uh, operator and, and sort of runner of that, who's not a character actually in the 47 film, but is also in the original book. Um, and then you have people like Rooney Mara, who's playing kind of this naive, um, but very sweet uh, sort of um, sideshow um, performer who sort of fo- is focused on electricity and he kind of charms or, or sort of works his way up and charms her and starts to court her. But then there's this kind of weird riff between um, the uh, ringmaster played by Ron Perlman, all of which is all kind of going on sort of as they go from you know place to place. But the thing that kind of 
catches Bradley Cooper's eye, Stan's eye specifically, is a mentalist act, which is performed by Tony Collette's character and David Strathairn. And they warn him early on that this act, if in the wrong hands, could lead to some very dangerous places, as we see in the second act when he uses it um, to basically become this household name and and sort of... um, you know, tries to fill a void that's empty with riches and fame and nothing kind of, you know, uh, completely works for him. He always has to have more and he kind of starts to believe in his own hype and his own um, sort of parlor tricks that Abilities, he's able to pull off. Yeah. yeah. And then he meets Kate Blanchett's psychiatrist who has connections to um, some very powerful and again, dangerous people like Richard Jenkins, industrialist character, um, Overall, it's a movie that is very slick looking. The production design, I think, is the true star, even though you have an incredible cast that's all mostly underutilized, with the exception, I would say, of Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper kind of getting the more meaty parts. And, and I guess Richard Jenkins to a certain extent as well. Um, I think the thing that bothers me the most about this movie is the cinematography. I I think that I mentioned it looking too slick and too sort of clean uh, for a film noir that's supposed to be kind of, you know, grainy and gritty and get to the sort of the underbelly of society. And it never does. And it also weirdly Mm. looks enchanting at times and whimsical. And I think that that also goes against, you know, the, the, what Guillermo is, is, is trying to kind of get to, especially because he's been working with Dan Lawson um several times now he started working with him on uh crimson peak and i feel like there's something lost there with with that collaboration because again you look at like devil's backbone and pan's labyrinth and chronos there's this grainy earthy tone to those movies that feels organic do you think that's just him switching from film to digital or i do i do i think it's partly that but i also think that there was something there with those like when he was working with guillermo navarro like he was he was doing something really um interesting Mm -hmm. and 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 again there was texture to it this just kind of and film noir was very soft yeah if you're going to commit to a neo-noir commit or, or to it do exactly you need you need to kind of like even if it's faux grain like you need to i agree with you that need to really get there yeah and I, I think i'm absolutely on the same page i think you liked it even a little bit more than i did but i'm more forgiving because um, i can see what he's trying to do and i i see that too but i'm just like there's a reason we don't make many of these movies anymore uh <laughs> i i was just bored to tears throughout the movie i feel like it's split into two completely uh, different films. Um, and I think I'm on the opposite side of most people where I kind of enjoyed the first half more than the second half. Um, first half being him, you know, entering this carnival, kind of meeting this cast of characters and kind of finding his way there. Um, I found myself like not minding that part of the movie and, and with you really kind of admiring the production design of the movie. And I feel like there was a trend lately from these kind of like master filmmakers, because I would put Del Toro kind of in there, at least from a technical standpoint with Spielberg with West Side Story and, and him where I'm like, I struggle with maybe the overall narrative and the structure of the movie and how it kind of completely plays out and some of the performances and things like that. But um, from a technical standpoint, other than maybe I do agree with you that the cinematography doesn't kind of always work, um, you're kind of mesmerized by, you know, this carnival or the lighting and just like the, you know, it being 
especially us being from, you know, the GTA, like seeing these spots that we either recognize or we've been to and, and things like that and seeing them transform to this era, I think was kind of the only thing I really admired about the movie. And then when you get back to the kind of story, I just felt like it took so long to get going. And even though I mildly enjoyed some of the kind of carnival elements and meeting all this cast of characters, I do agree with you that everyone feels a little bit underused and all of that kind of feels totally pointless. And it's only to get, you know, Cooper's character, you know, to that one point where he, you know, leaves and and starts this new act. And then I think the movie kind of comes to a complete stop and then restarts as this kind of, you know, noir, very noir uh, kind of movie, like paint, paint by numbers, kind of noir kind of thing with the femme fatale, the twists, the violence, all that kind of stuff where I just found myself bored by that point. And um, I just feel like everyone like Cooper, I feel like is sort of miscast and I like him. Like I, I do genuinely, as much as we, you know, are mixed on a star is born. I think he was phenomenal in that movie, especially directing it as well. That like, um, in this, I just never really bought into him as this kind of like noir, old school Hollywood, you know, mega star kind of doing this style of movie. I never bought into that. I thought Kate Blanchett hamming it up, but feels like she's in the right movie and like, and she completely nails that. She's it's obvious, but perfect casting. Um, yeah. And other than the production design where I, I like, again, going back and you see the neon lighting and, and things like that and the establishing shots and like, um, and some interesting visuals with like, even the opening with the, you know, I was intrigued by the mystery at the opening and I liked the visual of him with the body and setting the house on fire. And I, I thought it was really kind of a, a great setup, but I feel like it, then it just doesn't go anywhere for a good hour or so. And even though you're kind of like, Oh, this is interesting. I'd like to know more about, you know, these people at, at the carnival, you don't really get much other than what just serves uh, Bradley Cooper's story. And um, yeah, I think by the end of it, I just didn't care. Um, so all the twists and it becomes overly convoluted and just really simple, but also very convoluted where I'm just like, what? I think I understand what's happening, but why? Like, why are these people doing it? Why is he acting this way? And like, um, it was just a complete and utter disappointment for me because I, I really do love The Shape of Water. I, um, and I've never been a huge uh Guillermo fan like I think he's a wonderful guy and uh, I cheer another guy I cheer for but I find myself especially with his English language stuff like always kind of falling flat like and I feel like I almost feel the same way where I'm like okay from a technical standpoint I think he's he's really good at what he does but the stories he chooses to tell and how they're executed I feel like are either messy or uninteresting or um, don't completely fit the tone where you know he does include a lot of fantastical elements in his other movies and then this one kind of makes you believe that there might be an element of that but then it plays it pretty straight as noir and i feel like that kind of that misdirection or whatever he's trying to do there i feel like doesn't work because you're expecting it and you don't get it but then that uh, believing in your own bullshit kind of thing i'm like i just felt like it was really messy and uh, and uninteresting so like yeah it just did not work for me at all yeah, you could say that he is showing some restraint here because there is no actual supernatural element, even though, to your sure. point, it's being hinted at. And I was thinking 
that's where the difference was going to be in this adaptation that they were act, like actually Kim going and, to have and, one. and Kim Morgan, who co-wrote um, uh, the script with him and or adapted it and is also a, um, a former film critic and now um, his partner in life as well. So I was thinking, oh, are they going to do like a, um, you know, a Clive Barker Lords of Illusion kind of thing where like they go into like the supernatural element? And and in some ways, I mean, I have to applaud Guillermo for showing some restraint there, but it's still so self-indulgent at times. And I like him a lot as a filmmaker. He's just one of those guys that kind of like he has a sensibility that I think, you know, is not for everybody, but if you're into kind of the gothic aesthetic of what he's kind of interested in mm-hmm. and sort of the sometimes Cronenbergian stuff with the body horror or just like the idea of like, you know, man turning into beast and sort of like the in-between of those two things. I think you're always going to appreciate that. Like even with something as silly as Pacific Rim is, I I find that that movie is a very sincere, you know, tribute to kaiju films. And when you're watching this, there's a sense of, there's just this, there's just a sense of pedigree and prestige that it's like, look at all these amazing people we were able to assemble for this film originally DiCaprio Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be cast in the lead role and he dropped out and I think partly it was to do with he kind of already did this role better in Shutter Island which is the movie that this this film wants to be and you know again I'm nodding my head yes for audio listeners (laughs) where this movie ends it's like you, you kind of know where this is going as soon as we're introduced yeah. to one certain yes. <laughs> sort of sideshow presentation. But even if you haven't seen the original movie or read the book, which I have you, not, you kind of know where you're Absolutely going. Absolutely do. And, and when you get to that moment, it is a good moment in terms of like, okay, like a, a wraparound sort of full yeah. circle scene. But because you're not emotionally invested or interested in the character, it doesn't work. And even though Cooper is trying, um, it just doesn't come together. And it's also weird when, like, in the first half of the, the the movie, they keep calling him, like, a young, you know, guy and stuff like that. And Bradley Cooper's, like, I think in his 40s. And <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's strange. It's so because like, maybe everyone else is older that's around him, but not. I guess. I mean, Willem Dafoe specifically. And, like, there's this whole, like, he has this amazing <laughs> kind of reprehensible conversation about how you get a geek and like i think that's actually a really good scene and like they're i agree eating steak and eggs and stuff like that but yeah when they talk about the titular nightmare alley (laughs) yeah but i just kept thinking to myself how amazing shutter island is and how underrated that movie is and we should also give in terms of production design uh tamara tamara uh um who is the production designer there's one scene in specifically where the geek in the in the circus escapes and cooper's character goes into this fun house Mm -hmm. and you see this kind of giant head that opens and he kind of goes through Through. and it's like the swirl but it's like the water dripping over this head that's there are cool moments so beautifully made but it just doesn't come together. It yeah. just kind of feels like a, a, a style and exercise and self-indulgence. And to the point where like even Kate Blanchett, who has a beautiful, deliciously diabolic yeah. line reading, uh, you know, her last line of the film. I also thought of her where like she also did another movie 
that's kind of similar to this. That's this weird exercise that didn't work whatsoever. Is actually worse than this movie, which is Steven Soderbergh's The Good German, which yep. was also kind of like a film noir kind yeah. of take trying on like to, Casablanca, yeah. trying to make and recreating a, that exactly. But but Soderbergh, I think, was more like he committed to movie, it. I think a bit more than yeah, Toro but it still does. doesn't work. It still doesn't work. Where this, like, I I think this is a better movie just in terms of like. An amazing yeah, cast, sure. amazing yeah. production design. This is something that like, they I both have Tim their Burton faults, but they're in different do. places. Yeah, yeah. And then also like casting people like Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett, who are in Carol, and then yeah. Mary Steenburgen and I Richard Jenkins, who are in. Thank Step you for. Brothers. I was going to bring it up, but I, dude, if you put Mary Steenburgen and Rick, Richard Jenkins in the same movie, I'm thinking of Step Brothers, and that's not what I. And I know they're both great actors, like, and they're both great together separately. Um, I'm fine with them being in the same movie. Um, but it's just like the placement of it was really jarring to me because you get and that whole subplot with Mary Steenburgen, I'm just like, <laughs> why is this here? I'm like, I just I I was so confused and disinterested at that point where I'm like, where that whole thing ties itself up or or has a resolution. I'm just like, what? And maybe I'm just dumb. I'm like, I go. It's like, it's basically it just, to show how yeah. how Cooper's yes. sort of powers is affecting people. Harmful, yes, right? yeah. Like yeah. it's not harmless. These things that he's you know tricking people that he he, he can do or whatever. Um, but if you put them in the same movie, all I'm thinking of is Step Brothers. And then on top of that, this is a little inside baseball for Eric and I. But Del Toro shoots a lot of his movies uh, in the greater Toronto area. And a good chunk of this movie takes place at Parkwood Estate, which is in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada, um, which is you know where I was born and grew up. Eric is from Whippy, uh, uh, which is right beside Oshawa. Um, spent a lot of time in Oshawa. But um, it's always funny seeing that mansion. That mansion's been used in X-Men, uh, Billy Madison, the tuxedo. Uh, uh, Chicago, I believe. Yeah, the tuxedo. Like Most recently in uh, Ready or Not. Yes, uh, the boys uh, recently as well. So this doesn't necessarily – they might have some interiors there, but I, I couldn't tell maybe some It's of the, the garden sequence, yeah, but right? It, with, the garden with, sequence. And Nevis yeah. and I were literally there like uh, in the summer – uh, so probably after they shot this movie, but like um, it was just almost jarring and, and distracting. But it, that was what was most fun about watching this movie is being like, oh, shit, I was just there. Oh, they have a restaurant back there. Or Nevis has a photo right in front of that thing where Bradley Cooper's trying to unlock the gate or or things like that. So like um, it was just interesting. And it's my most liked letterbox review of all time because I just wrote like, do you think Bradley Cooper liked being in Oshawa? Because like well, it, it always seems like jarred, more people like, are coming out there yeah. because you had Viggo Mortensen, you know, shooting stuff in Uxbridge. Yeah. Uh, there was the one sequence in Enemy that was shot uh, just on the highway coming into Durham, into Oshawa. Um, it, it's and again, this cast is so amazing. Like you have people like Clifton Collins Jr., yeah, who's Hope in like McElhaney, um, Jim Beaver. Like these, these. It's just it's such an embarrassment of riches. Tim that Blake is Nelson, so wasted. Yeah, um, and you're just thinking to yourself the whole time, like, okay, like you you're committing to the bit, but at the same time, it doesn't feel earned. Like it should it have been in of, black and white. It should have had mono sound. It should have just like he. There was too many like modern flourishes that I feel like are distracting from the exercise that you're trying to do. Like I get that you're, you know, we've had some advancements in, you know, and you don't want it to be the artist where it's just like, Oh, that was a cutesy kind of like, Oh, that's how movies used to be. And then that's basically, I mean, it goes on to win a ton of awards, but like it did 
you know, I don't think it's going to withstand the the test of time, but like, um, yeah, I think you just got to commit to it. And like, I don't think that whimsical, fantastical nature that, you know, has been in his last, you know, and a lot of the stuff he did fit this movie. And I feel like you needed to kind of take a change in the cinematography and you needed to commit to the, the noir vibe. And even though everyone's dressed that way, like, I don't even feel like the dialogue other than the Kate Blanchett stuff really kind of like exudes film noir. Like, I guess maybe the overall vibe of the movie and like the way it begins and just his the rise and fall. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. But like, I just feel like you needed to commit and it just feels a bit kind of watered down. And then it just ends up kind of feeling like nothing to me where it's just like, yeah, you could admire the things, the sets and, and different things like that. But I was so disinterested in, in Cooper's story that by that time, like even though it had an intriguing setup that the time the Cape Blanchett stuff's like in the second half, which I know a lot of people really like, but um, I, thought, I love her office though. It's like great. Again, the production di- that's, design That's is what I'm great. looking at. Yeah. I'm not looking at anything else. Or you don't care what she's doing. And even when she no. ultimately, like, whatever happens um, is is happening, I'm just like, wait, what? Like, it just feels convoluted. But you're like, okay, why does he have this obsession with just more money? And, like, um, it's- Well, again, it's making the point and it's hitting you over the head that this guy – can't fill this void he's hollow from the inside out that there's nothing that will you know complete him as a person that everything that you could give him that he could ever want that he could ever desire he still wants more it's about the thrill of getting away with the con and that's the whole point of this character and again like you're supposed to there's there's that's very simple but then what i'm saying is the execution feels convoluted (laughs) no 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 totally totally and and it and it and it takes you on this journey that it's like okay it gets away from the original point there's one scene in this film that does feel somewhat on point to what this movie wants to be that actually is a very human moment um and i wish that there was more of it and it's a scene after the geek has been captured again and put back in the cage where cooper shares a cigarette with him yeah and that one moment was like okay like maybe now this is going to kind of change and do something different because the original movie which i just re-watched as well before watching the film uh the new one is still as bleak as all hell like it's one of the darkest like it's like it's like a punch in the gut yeah uh when you're watching that movie and it's it's still a long film like it's it's uh, about an hour 57 minutes long where this is two hours and 20 minutes about and yeah exactly yeah and again like it's adding more characters and and yeah and fleshing things out a little bit more and it's like okay well you have this opportunity to make a modern neo-noir and really kind of go to places that maybe the original version couldn't get away with because it was in the pre-code era so you've Mm -hmm. got like or the code era, pardon me, where you've got, you know, restrictions in terms of like what you can show. Yeah. But that original film is still really lurid and gross and dark. This is just like that version all over again, but just polished. And you're watching and thinking like, okay, well, like the whole thing is like, you know, imagine if Alfred Hitchcock could make more R-rated movies. Yeah, he made Frenzy, but like, like Tarantino's always said, like, you know, Brian De Palma was kind of like Hitchcock afterwards, you know, mm-hmm, like what mm-hmm. he would be if he had an R-rated movie. It's like, well, Guillermo, use your R-rated film. Like this movie isn't sexy and dark and violent as as it thinks it is. Yeah, you nailed it. 
Uh, I think that's a, a good end cap. I'm going to give the film a two out of five. I did not care for it much at all. And the two is for the production design and for Oshawa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a and three out of five because it's not the worst movie ever. But at the same time, this is a film that should be something that I love because again, I like Guillermo del Toro a lot. And again, he's it's another film and filmmaker this year that I'm adding to the pile of disappointments, which is so, which is such a bummer. Um, But also I wanted to talk to you um, about how this movie is doing. Sure. And, and I find that that's very interesting because obviously we have two Willem Dafoe uh, movies in the theaters. One, uh, the best of all time, almost and one best box office of all time. Yeah. One, one of the biggest one underperforming spectacularly. Yeah. I mean, so I guess uh, it's not because of Willem Dafoe, but um, yeah, you know what? It's interesting. And I think that it's both. It's, I don't know how to solve this really. Like I I think we should be happy and celebrating that, you know, something like Spider-Man No Way Home can bring people back to the theater and make 200 and almost $60 million its opening weekend, um, which I think will help theaters in the long run. And, you know, superhero movies, unfortunately that it is what it is. Everyone. I love them. Obviously a lot of other people do. I know there's some people who don't, um, but that's what's going to bring people in. And you hope that that transitions over to them seeing other things, but it just hasn't. So things like West Side Story and Nightmare Alley have suffered from that. The Last that. Duel. The Last Duel. Ironically, all Disney stuff with the Fox thing. So I get why people are worried where Disney might see the box office of Spider-Man, even though they only get 25% of it, but let's put any MCU property, Star Wars property in there. Um, And then they go, well, West Side Story, Nightmare Alley, Last Duel, all bombed. We're not going to make any of those style of movies anymore. And I get why people are worried about that, but I do feel like there's always an audience for that. It might not, unfortunately, be like theatrically anymore, like um, and unfortunately, maybe that will go to streaming. But I want to say, like, I think there will always be a place, whether it's at multiplexes or at, you know, rep theaters or small indie theaters. And as this industry changes, I don't think we're going to get rid of movies like this, even though I didn't like Nightmare Alley. I'm glad it was made. I'm glad Del Toro still is, you know, uh, being supported by studios and, and, you know, Searchlight and things like that. And I'm hoping with Disney owning Searchlight, and I've said this on other shows, too that they can afford a bomb. Like if anyone can afford a movie to bomb, it's Disney. So like those three movies, I hope it doesn't deter them from making them. And I hope the success of things like the MCU actually, you know, gives them more leeway to make movies like that and be okay if they don't make that much money, but they'll do well on Disney plus whenever they can put that on there in the U S and or Hulu or wherever they want to put it. Um, and are on physical media or whatever, like maybe that's where these people are looking for, you know, dramas and more adult oriented movies rather than these big spectacle movies. And unfortunately that's how the industry has changed where people go to the theater for spectacle. They aren't necessarily going anymore for a drama because I think those people or a noir or whatever, like, unfortunately I there's people like me and you, Eric and other cinephiles and film dorks and things like that, that want to see everything in the theater. And no matter who it is, especially from filmmakers like Spielberg and Ridley Scott and del Toro. But I think like, it's just how it is, is that most people, those 
types of movies they're fine to watch at home and they're not things that they're like fuck i need to run out and see nightmare alley before it's spoiled <laughs> no nightmare right. alley is a movie that they're gonna go oh this looks interesting bradley cooper great cast let's start that and it's on streaming services and that's just again my frustration with everyone at the hyper uh, hyperbole on both sides of like the you know whether spider-man is the you know the savior of everything or it's killing you know the bottom like the lower budget movies because those aren't going to get made or play in theaters and i'm like i think both of that is ridiculous i think it's a good thing that spider-man's making this much money and i think superhero movies much like that's why i love the paul thomas anderson stuff because i feel like he's level-headed about it and he's a guy who you know understands what's going on and goes okay i still have my little slice over here that i can still keep doing um and i know that's not going to be the case because not everyone is paul thomas anderson but i'm hoping you know these studios like we should be grateful that they are making money with movies like this because if if they weren't then they might just not be making money at all and that's the unfortunate reality so you hope that they put some of that money into things like searchlight or uh mgm keeps doing their thing or whoever the smaller focus features and like you hope the fast and the furious and the jurassic parks fun focus features and you hope the superhero movies funds searchlight and like you know a24 is going to keep doing their thing and their movies are low budgeted and they'll still get things neon will keep doing their thing and like um and i think there'll always be a spot for those places and if a theater gets canceled this weekend or a showing of nightmare alley gets canceled because they need more space for spider-man it's just like guys it's unfortunately movies are a business first and an art form second (laughs) like that's just the reality of things where um if the theater needs to especially because they haven't made money for the last two fucking years that if they need to cancel nightmare alley because there's 12 people buying per show time but spider-man's gonna get them 500 it's like of course they're gonna cancel it just i'm sorry either find somewhere else that didn't cancel the show or you're gonna have to wait until spider-man slows down a bit and then they'll open up other theaters and maybe it'll be playing there maybe it'll come to streaming in in 45 days or something like that like there, I think there will – I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I feel like there's always going to be a spot for these movies. It's just going to change and maybe multiplexes and the big chains and whatever's going to happen. Like that's why I'm not even – I'd be fine with Disney buying a theater chain because then just fucking play Disney movies. And then these other movies will go to theaters where people want to go see them and they'll thrive there. And like I know it's harder and harder with everything to run like a – rep theater or single screen theater and things like that but um i'm just sick of the hyperbole on both sides and i feel like i don't know like i don't think it's gonna bottom out we're gonna lose all of these movies no i especially because if you have i mean yeah the last duel nightmare alley west side story were films that were kind of in production before the fox disney merger so they're kind of and the Kingsman as well are are all movies that were you know kind of the leftovers before you know that that merger were happened. They? So they were, yeah, all a of lot them? of them. Were, I think so, mostly. Because okay. um, West Side's been in production for yeah. quite some time. I guess everything the pandemic just messes up my brain because I'm like the Disney thing went. I felt like it went through so long ago, right? That these would right, have been- but Guillermo won the Oscar for Shape of Water in 2017, and I think Searchlight and and him were working on Nightmare Alley or, or whatever he wanted to do next. Right. They were like, okay, we'll we'll take it, and then with uh, West Side, Spielberg's been working on that for a very very long time. 
um, to the point of, you know, he, Kyle's calling me as, as we're doing this. So I apologize because I've got my new Apple watch. And oh, it's nice. kind of distracting. Yeah. Um, so he'd been working on that for a while. The Kingsman had been in development yeah, forever. And, yeah, it's and, been delayed um, a bunch of times. And the last duel was something where like, I think it was like right around that period, Ridley Scott was being pitched at by Matt Damon. And because of the Martian doing so well, they wanted to go back to Fox. Yeah. So um, these, these are the movies that are kind of like the last of, you know, Fox before it became Disney or now is a part of Disney. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the future, if what, I'm right what is, or not, <laughs> what is Greenland? I, I think that there'll be room for both. The only thing I've ever, the only thing I have ever had a problem with is the option. I think the option should be there. I think that, you know, for every screening of Spider-Man, there should be a screening for a couple of indie movies or a couple of films that are, smaller budgeted but to your point i think that but we're, why why we're, do they owe that to us though no no no, no they no they, they they don't yeah but i'm saying i i like the option oh, because i like having I, ha- I like having choice i agree with it's, that it's like but... digital it's like digital and film you have the option to do both more people now are choosing digital instead of film because it's cheaper it's it's more practical to use but at least the option is there um, I do agree with you, though, that I think a lot of these movies will have a second life on VOD. That's why you're seeing streamers like Netflix and Apple TV Plus kind of pick these kind of mid-tier budgeted dramas. Because they know they wouldn't make towards... money in theaters anyway, so why not put them on streaming right away? Exactly, exactly. And for that, you have to you know, take that into consideration. I don't think it's the the death of those movies, but the other thing that we haven't talked about is that you know, as we're recording this, the Omnicron uh, variant is kind of circling. So like a lot of people aren't going to want to go out and see everything. You know, yeah. they're going to be very choosy and You'll obviously risk it Spider- for one Defoe, but not the other. Defoe. <laughs> yes. One, one Defoe and, and, and one Defriend. Yeah. Um, and, and no one else in between. Um, and with that, you have to kind of consider like, yeah, Spider-Man's going to be the pick because it's this huge movie that has, 20 years worth of cinematic material to reference. But then on top of that, it's such a huge IP. Like it's understandable. Nobody wants to see, you know, a, a, a revisionist take of nightmare alley. I mean, it should have been released in February or March. That's a where great I think, point. Like shutter Island was a movie that got kind of like, was supposed to be an awards film, but then got pushed into the next year, but did better because of that. And even though it didn't get any awards nominations, it's still a great movie. Yeah, and this might you know? get awards nominations and that'll help it for VOD and, and, and things like that. But um, I agree with you that it's it's weird. The choice from Disney is weird to put it out uh, at the same day as Spider-Man, knowing that they have a 25% stake in Spider-Man as well. And then it's kind of like, and then having Kingsman the next week, <clears throat> I'll be very intrigued because the Kingsman movies we talked about and you guys can check out a review of the Kingsman as well. And we won't double this conversation. We'll just review that movie, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that performs because you know, it is more franchise filmmaking, but that franchise I always feel has been like, even before the Disney takeover has always been like a, it does well, but like not super well. So I'd be curious to see, like, especially it being a World War One kind of, uh, you know, 
origin story. It's less crazy than the other ones. It's a little bit more grounded. It's, I don't know, like I, it'll be interesting to see what a, the reception is and B if it, if it even, if it bombs as well, because like, I guess if you have four bombs in a row from 20th century Fox, like, I don't know, but I, yeah. And also I think the, the thing that's also worth, worth mentioning in, um, for the Kingsman is that you look at the release dates for those movies as well. The first one was released in February. It was mm-hmm. early, you know, like the winter, like the first quarter. And again, there was the nothing else was really October to- or September, September. And that's a dead zone as well, usually. So those, I think they did better because of that, but because it's being, this is being released at the end of December. Again, it, you a know, week after delayed. Spider-Man. Yeah. It's, it's not going to do that well. I it, know. it really isn't. It's it'll, it'll find an audience on, on streaming. It has a built in fan base because it's established yeah. already, but it's not going to be the film that people go out to see, even with, a, a great cast and 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 it being a fun action adventure movie mm-hmm. yeah it'll be interesting but um we'll see we'll talk about this uh more on the untitled movie podcast as we do kind of our last kind of end of year episodes as we wrap up 2021 and look to 2022 because eric and i will be putting together our most anticipated films of 2022 we will be looking back at our most anticipated films of 2021 and ranking those as well as um doing our best of list. So that might be in one episode. It might be in a couple episodes. Um, but those are though, I think one Oh nine and one ten. uh, you might have before the end of the year, maybe just one of those. We'll figure that out. But, um, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you like this, we have a bunch of other reviews that you guys can check out. Um, whether it's right now or very, very soon, just keep an eye on this channel untitled movie reviews uh, both on youtube and podcast services so uh we'll have reviews for red rocket uh the aforementioned the kingsmen um being the ricardos licorice pizza uh benedetta tragedy of macbeth uh lost daughter uh we're gonna try to do matrix resurrections it just depends on when we see that uh the tender bar um uh, serrano and (laughs) i'm just gonna commit to it now and uh and more um one-stop shop for everything just head over to letterboxd untitled underscore movies that's where all of our youtube links all of our audio links all of our reviews star ratings um other things uh go check that out uh and as always my name is matt rohrbeck you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com you can follow me on all those social medias at matt rohrbeck and I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social media is at EM6211. 